A special thanks goes out to the folks at Anchor.fm for bringing you this podcast. Hello, everyone. Today, we begin Chapter 2 of Antonio Camisso's memoir, Paper Boys. I'm Tom Zania, and this is Tom Read Your Story. Coming to you almost live, it's time once again for Tom Reads Your Story, the number one spoken word podcast on the web for audiobooks, social media posts, current events, and just plain whatever. So let's start the show. For the next half hour, I'll be your host. I'm voice actor and podcaster, Tom Zania. And we are back. Welcome back, everyone. I'm glad you're here today. Uh, what I'm, I, first of all, I have to apologize. I had said last week that we were going to finish out the story of Paper Boys with Chapter Two. Well, Chapter Two is a little long. Actually, it's a lot long. It's over forty minutes. So what I'm doing is cutting it in half. I'm going to play half of chapter two today and the conclusion of chapter two, which is the conclusion of the book, next week. I hope you don't mind that. Uh, I I just kind of like to keep the show around 30 minutes or under. Basically 25 to 30 minutes is, is what I shoot for. And so that's the way it's going to have to be. Uh, I, uh, I'm sorry, I, I, I won't be playing the whole thing. I hope none of you were planning on hearing the end of it today. Uh, I don't think I have that many listeners to worry about that. But, um, you know, I, I was never a paper boy. I never was. I was never a paper boy. I don't know why I didn't get into it. Maybe I was afraid of the whole collecting money thing. Maybe that was it. I was, however, a substitute for a friend of mine who had a paper route. And I think I substituted for him two or three times uh, in my Woodward Street neighborhood. And that's where he had his route. And uh, I, I think I did pretty well at it. Uh, I didn't have to collect any money. I just did the route, you know, and threw the paper onto the steps and kept going. So that was my, <laughs> wasn't that an exciting story? Anyway, that's my experience with being a paper boy. Um, so far, you have heard chapter one of paper boys. We are learning about Tony or Antonio Camisso's life uh, in his younger years as a paper boy and the friends that he made. And we're going to start out uh, with chapter two of uh, paper boys right now. Enjoy. Chapter two. Summer wound down and school was back. By October, the leaves were changing 
and we settled into a routine. The mornings were starting to get chilly, so we put away the t-shirts and bundled up in hooded sweatshirts. After making our deliveries, we'd rush home just in time to get cleaned up, have some breakfast, then head out to school. When the three o'clock bell rang, we'd race home, drop off our books, and head down to the park. On Saturdays, we'd meet up at the sugar shack for pancakes after doing our routes. We'd eat and smoke and plan out our futures. We'd be in high school next year, and things couldn't be better. By mid-November, winter was starting to set in. One dreary, drizzly afternoon, when I got to the park, no one had showed up, so I sat down in the dugout, lit up, and waited. When my cigarette got down to the filter, I flicked it out onto the grass and was about to leave when Jimmy entered. "'Nobody else here?' he asked as he sat down. "'Just me. Man, it's freezing out,' he said. "'I was going to stay home myself, but I had to get out of the house.' He pulled out a cigarette and offered me one. I took it, and we both lit up. For a while, we just sat and smoked. Finally, Jimmy broke the silence. Just think, next year, we'll be in high school. Yeah, I can't believe it. We stayed silent a moment, then I asked, You think you're going to go to college? He took a drag, then exhaled. Probably. My old man's already talking about it. He keeps telling me he doesn't want me to end up like my brother Pete. What do you mean? Well, him and my old man don't really get along. Pete's always getting in trouble. I only knew Jimmy's older brother Pete to say hello, but everyone in the neighborhood knew about him. Bucky O'Donnell was Toad's older brother and Pete's best friend. He was also one of the toughest guys in the neighborhood and the rumor was that the only one Bucky was afraid of was Pete Foley. "'What about you?' Jimmy asked. "'You gonna go to college?' "'I guess. That's all my father talks about. Going to school. "'He's always telling me he wants me to work with my head and not my back.' "'We laughed, then just talked for a while. "'The days became a routine.' On Thanksgiving, we delivered our papers, then headed to the sugar shack for breakfast, then met at the park after dinner. Christmas and New Year's was more of the same. We were like brothers, dreaming and sharing plans for the future. By mid-January, winter had dug in and we got our first major storm. I stepped out my front door at 5.30, confronted with a foot of snow and no sign of it letting up. It was Saturday, so we didn't even get a day off from school. I trudged my way to the branch office. It was insert day, so I just wanted to get done, then head straight to the sugar shack for hot coffee and pancakes with my friends. Things were bustling at the branch office. Toad had the heat cranked up, and I was going to take in as much of it as I could before I had to return to the frigid cold. I joined Paul and Jimmy who were stuffing newspapers into their bags. Christ, it's freezing out, I said, as I counted out my papers. Yeah, Paul replied. 
We got inserts today, too. Hey, we're slim, I said, scanning the room. Who knows, Paul replied. It's probably too cold for him. I bet we'll see his old man walk in any minute. A moment later, the door swung open and Slim's father entered. We glanced at him, simultaneously smirked, then slung our bags over our shoulders and headed out. Hey, let's hurry up and get the inserts done. Toad's going to be looking for someone to get his food, I said. Okay, Jimmy replied. Last one back's a rotten egg. We walked a few blocks together, then split up and headed to our routes. I rushed through my deliveries, then headed back to the branch office to do inserts. Jimmy and Paul were already there. Come on, man, hurry up, Paul whispered. Immediately, I went to work on my inserts. The thought of Toad calling out one of our names loomed. We were almost done when Toad bellowed, Hammond! Johnny nearly lost his glasses. What? He responded with a slight quiver. Get up here. Johnny broke from the line and walked to the back of the room. What do you want? Toad pulled a bill from his pocket and held it out. Go to Two Sisters and get me a hot chocolate and two buttered rolls. And don't try going to the other place, because I can tell the difference. But I can't. I got it. What you got to do is get your ass going and get my food, he yelled. The room turned silent. We all froze. Please, Toad, I got to get home. My mother, if you hurry, it should only take you 20 minutes. But I can't. I, I said get going. Just then, Jimmy broke away and joined Toad and Johnny. Toad gave him a puzzled look. What's up, Jimmy? I'll go get your food, he said. Toad stayed silent a moment, trying to hide his discomfort. Then, in a meek tone, said, That's okay. Hammond will go. He just tried to tell you he can't. He's got to get home. Johnny pushed his glasses up, and he and Toad both turned to Jimmy. Jimmy, you know I don't expect you to. I know. I'm offering. And I won't tell my brother. They exchanged stares. For a moment, no one spoke. Finally, Toad said, Okay, but I didn't ask. You offered. He handed Jimmy the money. Johnny exhaled. Go on, get out of here, both of you, Toad said. Johnny gave Jimmy a grateful glance. Jimmy returned it with a tight smile. I don't know why Jimmy did what he did. Perhaps standing up to Toad made him feel good. Or maybe he just wanted to show Johnny that Someone cared about him. Whatever the reason, it would change his life. Johnny grabbed his bag and rushed out the door. Jimmy stuck the money in his pocket and headed out, saying, I'll see you guys at the sugar shack. Paul and I finished our inserts, then trudged our way through the snow to the sugar shack. We finished our cigarette as Denise set our plates down when Jimmy strutted in with a strange smirk across his face. I'll have coffee and one of those, he said to Denise as he slid onto his stool and pointed to our pancakes. How long you guys been here? he asked. We just got our food, Paul replied. Did you get Toad's rolls? I asked. Oh, yeah, Jimmy said with a slight chuckle that got our attention. 
Okay, I'll bite, I said. What's so funny? What? He replied with a grin. Come on, let's have it, Paul added. Well, let's just say I don't think Toad will be sending anybody for rolls and hot chocolate for a while. Paul and I stopped eating and turned to Jimmy, beaming, as he unraveled what he'd done. He followed Toad's orders and trudged up to the coffee shop and picked up his food. On the way back, he caught Mr. Einstein unlocking the front door of the pharmacy. Then I got an idea. A great way to liberate everyone from running for Toad every Saturday. He stopped in the drugstore and purchased a small packet of chocolate X-Lax. He dissolved three pieces of it into Toad's hot cocoa, then delivered the package to Toad. I took my time with the inserts, Jimmy said, smirking. I wanted to make sure he finished his food. Then he added, That shit works fast. All of a sudden, Toad gets up and rushes to the toilet. I laughed my ass off, he said, then continued. By this time, everybody's gone. So I walked back to the bathroom, and, man, I almost busted out laughing. You okay, Toad? I said. Yeah, yeah, he says. Well, I'm done. I'm leaving, I said. Then I walked out. We exploded with laughter, and Jimmy just sat back with a huge grin across his face. What's so funny, boys? Denise said as she slid Jimmy's breakfast in front of him. These guys will laugh at anything, Jimmy said. We finished our breakfast, enjoyed an after-breakfast smoke, and went home. I don't know why Jimmy decided to pinch hit for Johnny. I think in a way it made him feel more like his father and brother. He used to talk about his father being a war hero, and everyone knew what a reputation his brother Pete had. Maybe it just made him feel equal. The storm dropped over two feet of snow, so I decided to take a day off from the park. Instead, I helped my father with some shoveling. He was happy because I did it without him asking. On Sunday, I pulled my wagon through, over, and around all the snow. Halfway to the branch office, I ran into Jimmy, and we made our way together. We parked our wagons among the others in front and entered. Everyone looked at us. The room was quiet. I noticed Pat, our manager, and wondered what he was doing here on a Sunday. Before Jimmy and I could begin grabbing our papers, Pat spoke up. Ah, uh, guys, he said, bringing us to order. He hesitated, making momentary eye contact with the floor, then looked up. I got some bad news. Yesterday morning, he paused again. Yesterday, we lost one of our carriers. Johnny Hammond was hit by a car. He didn't make it. Suddenly, my throat tightened. No one spoke. I glanced at Jimmy. His face was as white as the snow. Pat continued, Before any of you ask, I don't know much about what happened, but it's on the front page of the paper. I'm sorry to have to give you the news, but I thought it would be better if you heard it from me. I'll be doing his route today. He paused again, cleared his throat, and added, If uh, any of you know anyone who wants to work, let me know. Everyone resumed their work. Paul, Jimmy, and I headed out together 
No one spoke. When it was time to split up, I said, See you guys at the sugar shack. Yeah, see ya, Paul replied. Jimmy stayed silent. I made my deliveries trying to make sense of what happened. Death was for old people, people who were sick. My stomach tightened. I recalled Jimmy's expression when we heard the news. I'd never seen it before. Nothing ever seemed to bother him. But this was different. Paul was already at the counter when I walked in the restaurant. I slid onto the stool, and Denise dropped a mug in front of me, then sped away. We just sat silent a moment, sipping coffee. Finally, Paul said, Man, can you believe it? All I could muster up was a blank stare. We sipped coffee, waited for Jimmy, and rehashing the news. Minutes passed without any sight of him. Finally, Paul said, Let's order. I gotta get home. Okay, I said. We waved Denise down and ordered. Halfway through our pancakes, Jimmy walked in holding a rolled-up copy of the paper. Where you been? I asked. He set the paper on the counter and slid onto the stool next to me. I caught a glimpse of the headline. It was about Johnny. Uh, it took me a while today, he said. It didn't sound like him. That steady, calm tone of confidence was replaced by a soft, feeble, hollow sound. Denise set a mug of coffee in front of Jimmy. The usual, Jimmy? she said. Uh, no, just the coffee, Jimmy said. Paul and I went back to our breakfast. Jimmy lit up and sipped his coffee. Paul finished his pancakes, set down his fork, pulled a few bills out of his pocket, and set them on the counter. Here's my money. I gotta get home, he said. Okay, see ya, I said. See you guys, he replied. Yeah, see ya, Jimmy added. We watched Paul walk out. I went back to my pancakes. Jimmy just sat silent, sipping, smoking, and dazed. A moment later, he said, Do you think things happen for a reason? His voice sounded feeble and cracking. I looked at him. His eyes appeared pink and damp, empty. What do you mean? I said. I mean, he hesitated, then turned to me and repeated. I mean, what if Hammerhead had gone for Toad's food? What if I didn't stick my nose in? Immediately I fired back. Don't you even think that, man. You did what nobody else had the balls to do. I watched a tear run down his cheek. Yeah, and look how it turned out he said, quivering. I stared at him, waiting for a look back. He just stared straight ahead. I'm not going to let you do this, man, I said. Things happen. Things nobody can control. That's the way it is. Yeah, that's the way it is, he repeated, then set down his mug, butted out his cigarette, turned to me and said, you ready to go? Let's go, I said.
I paid the bill and we walked out. We made our way through the snow in silence. When it was time to separate, I said, See you later. Jimmy continued on. Yeah, see ya, he replied. The next day, the news about Hammerhead was buzzing all over the school. There were all sorts of rumors. People were saying that he got hit so bad that he was knocked out of his shoes. Somebody said he landed in a snowbank right outside his house. The whole thing was hard to believe. After school, I headed to the park. The gang had gathered in one of the dugouts. Occasionally, someone would mention Hammerhead. Jimmy just sat silent, away from everyone. At school the next day, our teacher informed everyone about the tragedy. She told us about the viewing hours at the funeral home that night and added that classes would be laid an hour the next day so that we could attend the funeral mass. I met Jimmy after school. You going to the wake? He asked. I looked at him. Yeah, I guess. We should, shouldn't we? You ever been to a wake? I asked. Me? No, except when my grandfather died. What about you? Once, a neighbor down the street. But I've never been to a kid's wake before. It's kind of creepy, you know? Jimmy stayed silent. I spent the afternoon trying to get my mind around going. She reassured me that paying my respects was the right thing to do. All I could do was lay on my bed, twisting and turning, until it was time to go. It was about seven o'clock when I set out for the funeral home. Once I got around the corner, I lit up. I needed a cigarette to calm my nerves. When I arrived at the funeral home, the line of people waiting to enter was out to the curb. I looked around for Jimmy, hoping we'd go in together. There were lots of kids from school in the line, but no Jimmy. I took my place in line and edged my way toward the entrance for what seemed forever. The place was wall-to-wall -wall people. The warm air took the chill out of my bones, and the sweet aroma of fresh flowers permeated the room. As I got closer to the casket, the sound of a woman's wailing sobs made my stomach tighten. I quickly scanned the room, searching for the source, but there were so many people, it was impossible to tell. When I reached the head of the line, to my left, in the front row of chairs, a woman dressed in black was weeping uncontrollably. She held a white handkerchief, which she used to wipe her eyes. It was Johnny's mother. Flanked on either side of her were two other women doing their best to console her. When my turn came, I knelt down in front of the casket. I bowed my head and silently said a quick prayer as I stared at Johnny's lifeless body. His face looked like a doll. His nose looked different, and it was the first time I'd ever seen him without his glasses. My heart was pounding against my ribs. I made the sign of the cross, then got up slowly and headed out. I tried not to stare, but the sight of Johnny's mother crying was shocking. Outside, the line was still out to the street. I scanned the crowd again, looking for Jimmy, but 
He wasn't there. I needed a smoke, so I walked around the corner, out of sight of any adults, and lit up. The frigid cold chilled my bones, but I couldn't get Johnny's face out of my head. It all seemed so unreal. Then, my thoughts shifted to Jimmy. Where was he? I thought for sure he'd be there. And that, of course, was the first part of Chapter 2. And you will be able to hear the conclusion of this book next week. It gives you more time to look at your Will Smith articles and (laughs) other things like that. And that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Tom Read Your Story. Portions were pre-recorded. Tell your friends if you enjoyed your visit today because we're always looking for new ones. Thanks, Anchor.fm, for this opportunity. I greatly appreciate it. Until next time, take care, everyone. Bye now. This is Tom Zania. For more information on my availability for your e-learning, commercial, or audiobook project, visit my website at www.tomzvoices.weebly.com. We hope you visit us again real soon for another episode of Tom Reads Your Story.